Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, 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 look at what day it is. Hello, welcome to The Hill. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Thank you for being uh, here with us, maybe with your family as well. Uh, We have a special edition of The Hill over the next hour, starting with holiday shopping, Americans getting ready for Black Friday, Cyber Monday as well. The experts say people want to spend this season, but what does it also say about the state of the economy? Plus, what do you get the person who has just about everything? If you have a lot of money, Neiman Marcus just might have the answer. We'll take a look at Lavish. Uh, It's Lavish Christmas book catalog and politics at the dinner table. It might not be the best recipe for conversation, but what is the best way to handle it? Panel, we'll get into it. Thank you for being with us here on The Hill on this Thanksgiving. I'm Blake Berman, joined today by Crystal Knight, a Democratic strategist. Dan Cannonen is a former Obama campaign official. Denise Gitsum is a former aide in the uh, President George W. Bush administration. And Julia Manchester, national political reporter for The Hill. All right. Thanks for being with us. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. It's one of the best days of the year, right? This, what's coming up next month, whatever holiday you celebrate. Yeah, no, no, it, it definitely, it's a it's kind of, for me, it's always been the start of the holiday season. I'm not one of those people, neither is my mom. We don't decorate for Christmas before Thanksgiving. <laughs> okay, you're if one of those? That's yeah. Thing, oh, if, so yeah, if that's your thing, that's fine, but I, I mean, I, fine. yeah, I mean, it's not okay, fine. yeah. So, D- Denise putting it all out. There. So what's the, Ma- what's the Manchester Thanksgiving like, Manchester family? So, you know, growing up, we would actually alternate with my dad's brother's family who lived in Chicago. Now they live in Cleveland as we've all gotten older. That's sort of, you know, sometimes we do it. But lately, I've been doing turkey trots on okay. Thanksgiving. and You just finished a marathon. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's Got a to good, shout you out on that. Thank, right. yes, thank <laughs> you. I think it's just a good way to start the day. And it's always, you know, you have these really competitive running races, but turkey trots are just so much fun. Yeah. yeah. I just can't get up at like six something in the morning to get Exactly. It's like Thanksgiving, so I just want to sleep yeah. in. What about yes. you guys? Uh, our our keeping in our family is finagling an invitation to somebody else's house. Okay, so you don't have to do the cooking. <laughs> totally fine with cleaning dishes, right. but we're not good with the cooking. My dad burned, he always made turkeys on the grill, and one year he charted beyond recognition. In fact, the leg was still on fire when he pulled <laughs> off the top of the grill. So ever since then, we're just all about mooching. Oh, nice. <laughs> our, our family, we typically do a Thanksgiving lunch. So we have dinner okay. around two to three o'clock in the afternoon, That's and I typically so then you get just up, want to chill, right. right? So I typically get up every Thanksgiving morning and do a mile in the neighborhood just so I can. The two are way my, too ambitious for me. <laughs> Our and then family. we have an afternoon. <laughs> Sorry, Crystal. No, no. Our, our family has been big on dogs. Okay. Um, sisters, kids, my parents. Um, we have a Pomeranian and a 
uh, pit boxer mix. And okay. so we're watching the American Kennel Club show okay. for Thanksgiving. Oh and notably, uh, huh. so the Pomeranian. There's, there's the dog. What's well, the name? That's Kusi in front and then behind the little four-pound Pomeranian oh. pony. Okay. Who is a former champion show dog herself. Okay. So we got to root for the toy group and the Pomeranians who have not won Blake hmm. since 1988. Okay. Maybe. Maybe this year. We'll see. <laughs> If, if that's the breed that wins? That's what we want to see is a Pomeranian. All right. Got to root for them. Well, today uh, is a day of thanks, of course. Shoppers appear to be thankful for holiday sales. The National Retail Federation says holiday spending this month and next month will be somewhere uh, about 3 to 4% higher compared to last year. Consumers are expected in the, uh, to spend in the area, you see the numbers there, uh, just short of a trillion dollars, probably somewhere around $960 billion. So... Uh, as much as you hear about the economy and interest rates, people are still spending. But, you know, I, I got to say, when I look at those numbers, a 3 to 4% increase uh, is what's projected. That's, that's basically just inflation, right? We're going to be spending the same amount of money as last year. Yeah, but look at that trend line. Ten years ago, that number was $500 billion. Now it's right. almost, you know, it's double. Sick, right, double that in ten years. And we had 3 or 4 or even 2 or 3% growth for more than a decade. Then these big spikes in the pandemic and now we're kind of coming back down to normal pre-pandemic levels. Probably good for a soft landing. Well, you're all about this soft landing. <laughs> we're, we're if you track. know it's coming, please tell me when and where and what it looks like. Because we're going to make it. We're going to make I mean, I, look, let's hope. Who knows? Uh, but, I mean, when we, we talk about inflation in the economy, it's still issue number one for every single, well, not every single voter, but it's, it's somewhere around like 60% of the country, it, it's the top issue. Well, and for the vast majority of Americans, yeah. and I'm sure a lot of Americans in preparing for their Thanksgiving meals have gone to the grocery store and have continued to notice that the prices of goods and service, services are essentially higher. One thing I am curious about, though, not to get us too much off track, but I'm very curious to see on Black Friday how much people are spending online versus yeah going into stores and even um, when it comes to grocery shopping with the increase of advent of Instacart or yeah. Uber uh, groceries I feel like that's really starting to, starting to take hold. I mean I remember Black Fridays when we'd always go to the malls right. we have a tradition. Now it's my mom and I sitting on the couch like, <laughs> looking uh, at everything. So yeah. the National Retail Federation, uh, here's what they say. They say quote, it's not surprising to see holiday sales growth return to pre-pandemic levels. Overall household finances remain in good shape and will continue to support the consumer's ability to spend. That's not, that's true. not that's like not the most... Well, what I was going to say was yeah. it's not the most robust statement there. Right. And, I mean, what I've seen about the economy is that people are basically draining their savings accounts. They're, they have, and they're at record levels of credit card credit debt. Card, yeah, yep. And so I think it's just psychologically, just putting myself in, that, in those shoes... We've just gone through three years of pandemic-ish, right? Some level of pandemic yeah. trauma. Mm -hmm. And people have sacrificed time with family, and they've done very scaled-down holiday yeah, right. sort of celebrations. I think they're just tired of scaling back. And they're like, you know, who cares? Like, we're just going to go blow it out and have a fabulous holiday because it's been difficult the last few years. Credit card yeah. debt right now, record high, one point, uh, just, just north of a, a trillion dollars, Crystal. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine that people will continue to spend because, like, you just stated, you know, people are ready to get back into the family holiday season. They're also ready to get back to their normal routine as it relates to spending. And so this is something that I would expect people to um, go out to the stores yeah. and really be able to celebrate and have those 
post or pre-pandemic moments that they had before the pandemic hit so that they can feel normal again. And that may mean increased amount of spending, which may also mean an increased credit card come January. Yeah, (laughs) probably. All right. So tomorrow, uh, of course, is Black Friday. Then there's Cyber Monday, followed by Giving Tuesday. Don't forget about that. It's a day where people are encouraged to do good. Anything from volunteering to donating to charitable causes. Joining us now is Elizabeth McGuigan. Uh, she is the Vice President of Policy and Government Affairs for the Philanthropy Roundtable. Elizabeth, thank you for being with us uh, here on the Hill on one of the best days of the year. So, of course, we think about, you know, what are we, the gifts we want to get and what we're going to put in the, the stocking or whatever holiday uh, you celebrate coming up. But it's also a time for charitable giving. What, what is the state right now uh, in this country with charitable giving? Where are we? Great. Thank you, Blake. And thank you for having me today. It's great to be here. So over the last few years, we've seen Americans really step up and join together to address everything from the COVID-19 pandemic to social unrest and economic uncertainty. So while giving dipped slightly in 2022 after a few record-breaking years, Giving USA's latest report showed that Americans gave almost half a trillion dollars to charity Hmm. in 2022. So what this shows is that the state of giving is strong. We all know there are real problems in our society and that voluntary giving is far more creative and nimble than the government when it comes to rising to these challenges and really supporting the most vulnerable in our communities. Yeah, you mentioned you mentioned that half a trillion dollar figure, 499 billion. uh, But charitable uh, charitable giving actually dropped last year by about three and a half percent. Why was that? Sure. Well, some of that was inflation. Some of that was market contraction. But Although giving was down overall, Americans still demonstrated that unwavering support for uh, for charity. And the dip also followed a remarkable growth in philanthropy in prior years as people rallied to help those in need during the pandemic and downturn. I'd also point out in the data, there were some promising areas of growth last year with foundations and corporations both seeing increases in giving and charitable accounts called donor-advised funds granting out a record-breaking $52 billion in 2022. So the landscape may be shifting, but overall, right. private philanthropy remains essential. Is, is there, yeah, is the, and that was my next question. Is, is there a shift as it relates to, to businesses, corporations, entities, however you want to describe it, and then individuals? Are you seeing something uh, sort of off or different there in, in one or the other? We are seeing a decline in middle-class giving in particular. Um, But at the same time, you see foundations and you see corporations stepping up to fill that gap. Hmm. And I think that dip in middle-income giving really speaks to the need to keep what we call philanthropic freedom, the ability to give how, when, what cause you see fit, free and protected. Right. Uh, Before we go, what about, you know, here in Washington and policy, any... Any sort of legislation on the horizon that you see as either uh, beneficial or, harm- or harmful? Yeah, absolutely. You know, right now, unfortunately, we're seeing threats on several fronts. Um, Americans' trust in institutions is declining, and charities aren't immune to that. So this is leading to threats in Congress, like calls for forcing the disclosure of anonymous givers. And our concern is that this will make people give less to the detriment of those in need. So we know that people sometimes choose to give anonymous, anonymously for religious reasons or out of modesty. And it's not hard to imagine why in our divided society, someone might not want their affiliation to be public knowledge. So again, we have to keep the right to give free. Well, it's, I mean, 
I, I just go back to Elizabeth that that five hundred billion dollar figure. It is a lot. Uh, that is a lot of giving all across this country. Uh, and of course, we hope to see that number continue and spike or continue and grow, I guess, in the years and decades ahead. Elizabeth McGuigan, thanks for being here with us. Happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy the holidays. Thank you. All right. Well, meantime, did you see this? Neiman Marcus has released its annual Christmas catalog of outrageous fantasy gifts for 2023. The chief brand officer for that company telling Forbes, quote, this year's assortment is more experiential than ever and reminds us all that there is a little fantasy in every gift. All right, so about those fantasies. Let's start with the uh, Cadillac Carmen, uh, what is this, the Celestic? I think that's the way you pronounce it. It's a Celestic. It's an all-electric vehicle, price tag $975,000. Now, as part of the package, uh, you can see the Celestic uh, getting built in person, whatever that's worth. Uh, receive a tour of the Cadillac house. Stay in a luxury suite in downtown Detroit. I love Detroit as much as anyone, but nearly a million bucks for this thing. I don't know. What do you say? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, well, look, if you're a car enthusiast and you yeah. have the money, sure. But I don't know. I mean, I think this is just a fun little catalog. I, I, I read it, fantasize, you know. Of course we so. fantasize, but yeah. it also reminds me how poor I am. <laughs> yes. And I think, though, it's a little out of touch. Like, right. you know, we just heard about how corporations are giving more than ever to charity, and that's something we all yeah. applaud. We want to get behind corporations that do good. And I wish so much that some of these really exclusive, super luxury, high-end stores mm-hmm. would tell people that are able to buy these things that we're giving a set, some, some portion back, or how about you consider doing this instead, because people are suffering. What'd you make of what she said for the state of charitable giving? Oh, I mean, I made it. What I was thinking about was this. I think she's putting a rosy sort of glow on it. Because, you think so? Yeah. Well, I mean, last year we had we had a 40 year high in inflation in the summer of 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, when you I think it's really unfortunate when you have corporations being able to give more, the rich are getting richer, so they're able to give more. But the middle class is getting poorer. And that's an issue that's going to play out in our election next year, you know, depending on which way that economy grows or contracts. But that inflation is directly tied to how wealthy people feel. And if your wages are increasing, it doesn't matter if you still can't afford to do anything with that money. Symptomatic of sort of where we are right now. Absolutely. I mean, I think I, I tend to agree with what she just stated in that if you are having a trouble, you know, filling up your gas tank, right. buying basic goods like eggs and sugar, then thinking about an electric car. Yeah. That you were not able to do. And on those numbers, so two-thirds of Americans were giving to charity just a couple decades ago. Now it's just under 50%. Wow. More giving, fewer people. And then you look at that cre- the story on credit card debt. Yeah. There's, there's now $17 trillion in overall household debt mm-hmm. and $17 trillion in business debt, which is a clip. Most of it's mortgages, though, True. right? True. But the point being that there's more in those pockets than the national debt at this point, which right. I think contributes to this. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Back to the, uh, the fantasy gifts, though, because why not? <laughs> Uh, here's another one. This one from Disney. For $510,000, designers will turn you and a guest into a character for a short animated video. You will get to voice that character, receive a private tour of the Walt Disney Studios in California, and have a meet and greet opportunity as well. <laughs> Anyone want this or well, no? Okay. I would say there's some parents out there who might pay 500 grand just to stay away from, from Disney. <laughs> exactly. But that's the other part. Exactly. As someone who's from Orlando, where, you know, actual yeah. Disney World is. So, you know. Um, but, you know, that seems like something, you know, we talk about charitable giving. That mm-hmm. seems like something you could 
I don't know, that could be where Disney, and I think they have, could partner with a foundation like Make-A-Wish Foundation, yeah. Yeah. make some kids, um, their names you know. I mean, I'm sure that they do. I'm sure they do that. They do that, yeah. But, I mean, but still, it's, it's you know, it's a fun idea. I'm sure there are, like, you're, you're right, Blake. Any, any, anyone have a character they'd want to be? <laughs> Maybe Mickey Mouse. <laughs> That's what you would pay five hundred grand for. I mean, I've always isn't that every kid's dream? I guess is to so. Be I guess Mickey so. Mouse. I know. My good friend Omar was Charlie Chris campaign manager, but in a previous life was Tigger. Oh, that, so okay. you, oh my goodness! You can get paid to do that. At Disney World. Yeah. Finally, a trip to the twenty twenty four Paris Olympics mm. with Ralph Lauren That's and cool. a and uh, Team USA for two hundred ten thousand dollars. You'll stay three nights at a Paris <laughs> hotel, attend the opening ceremony, receive tickets to several events, and. Get access to the Team USA house. That is where athletes dine and watch live broadcasts of the games. Uh, anyone have interest in that? I kind of like just like that. Yeah. Out of all of these gifts, that's the one I would choose if I had the, mo- the money. I mean, that's an incredible opportunity. Let's I think saving. going. Yeah, let's we'll do it. Yeah, we can save. Yes, there we go. Yeah. You like watching that? I mean, I think that I'd rather watch that stuff on TV, right? Yeah. Like bounce around Get and channel front row seat. I, I think the athletes are going to be doing their best to no- be apart from the annoying people that pay <laughs> a bunch of money, like $70,000 a night to come and watch them and be their friends. All right. All right. Well, coming up, uh, talking more than just turkey at dinner tonight. With political tensions running high across the U.S., some topics might turn into a, a war words, I guess you could say. So how do you approach politics during the table today? Our panel weighs in when the hill on News Nation returns. From Spectator World, it says, quote, the case against the Thanksgiving dinner fight, break bread, not relationships. The author says your gatherings don't need a conscience. They need grown-ups mature enough to value connection rather than mere information. Uh, this can get awkward at the Thanksgiving dinner table. My my go-to joke is someone born and raised in Miami is normally, how about them dolphins? <laughs> like, like, like if something goes wrong, it's just like turn it to something else. Absolutely. You talking, you talking politics at the, at the Thanksgiving table? Well, or, I like, try not to. I mean, Thanksgiving is all about, you know, reflecting on love and what happened across the year. I mean, politics is unavoidable, yeah. obviously, and we're living in polarized times, but really talking about what's happened in my family members' lives, um, what, what they, the latest vacation they've been on, those are the things that I care mostly about and trying to stay away from your opinion about a conflict or your opinion about a particular how do you, How do you do it, though? <laughs> Well, the you dolphins just, are you just, you just breathed in early. The dolphins football. are good to football, right? We, we play golf in yeah. my family. All, okay. all, the, all the folks get on the golf course and, and you know, break bread over that. But I, I think you do have to start with, with the family, mm-hmm. with what's happening with the kids, what's right. happening right. with the schooling, and, and mm-hmm. go to that stuff. So uh, just a little while ago, uh, earlier this month, Chris Steyerwald had some advices. There's a, there's a general divide, real, not a general divide, but um, some interesting numbers on basically how uh, young, uh, the younger generation and their grandparents or, or parents, per se, are, are sort of split ideologically, politically. So this was the advice from, from Chris Tyrewald earlier this month. Younger people are more liberal, more left, more democratic than their parents' generation ever was. And unlike their parents' generation, they're not moving rightward. This conflict between these generations is the conflict that the country's trapped in. And this is why we cannot have nice things. So as you get ready to go to Thanksgiving dinner table, what you've got to do is shut up. 
Don't argue with these people. Don't argue with the people who disagree with you. Love them and stop fighting because we, Gen X, are just asking you all to please, please stop. Just enjoy the turkey. <laughs> just enjoy the turkey. Well, he's absolutely right because at the end of the day, and this is something my parents have said, my aunts and uncles have said, you are never going to change someone else's mind. It's just not going to happen. You right. could have a conversation. You know, my dad and his sister both share very different political views. They, if they talk politics, which I don't think they do that much, they approach it with kid gloves, knowing they're never going to convince the other person. You're from, so you're, from you're from Tampa, right? So Orlando. Orlando. How about the Buccaneers? I exactly. Guess? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How about the Magic? Yeah, yeah. About the magic. But yeah, right. upstate New York roots. So right. how about them Bills? Denise, I know this is something uh, close to you. Funny, you should ask. Um, so I just wrote a book called Politics for People Who Hate Politics: How to Engage Without Losing Your Friends or Selling Your Soul, and. In it, I, you know, I talk about this because these are the things that I've done wrong in my life. In my course, in my relationships, have really suffered because of politics over the course of my career in politics. So three things I would just quickly mention is I think you should engage. I actually don't think that sweeping things under the rug, you don't have to bring it up at Thanksgiving, but maybe you engage relationally, which is something everyone up here has talked about. But if something does come up, I wouldn't shy away because those things just simmer. Mm -hmm. Second thing I would say is you want to set your intentions from the start of the conversation, maybe the start of the day. Mm -hmm that you're going to learn and be curious and have a spirit of humility when you engage in conversations with people that disagree with you. Mm -hmm. And then I think the third thing, and I really have to work hard at this one, <laughs> is that we have to speak the truth in love. This comes from the Bible, which is my spiritual foundation. And I think the thing that I would add to that is the harder the truths you speak, the more love you have to speak them with. So, you know, I really believe that politics can be a force for unity in our nation. I truly believe that it can. Because if, if we grow more conservative as we, get, as we get older, then we remember what it was like when we weren't as conservative when we were younger. All of us are in different parts of this political spectrum. And we can all relate to being on the outs at any given moment. And that is in your book that is called... Politics for people who hate politics. <laughs> right. Well, coming up, Thanksgiving is a time with friends, uh, family as well. But some lawmakers are on a mission to help those who are less fortunate. How they are taking on the issue of homelessness in America. Plus, we can't forget, of course, our service members on this Thanksgiving. So how much food does it take? What do you think? How much food does it take to feed troops all over the world? We have the numbers. We'll share them with you and talk to someone who is behind this huge operation. That's when The Hill on News Nation returns on this Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. <laughs> All right, welcome back. So Thanksgiving, of course, a day to spend time with family and friends. It's a time to reflect as well, but it's also a day to give thanks for what we have. A day as well to help others. Consider this. More than 582,000 people in the U.S. experienced homelessness last year. That is according to the Department of Housing and Urban Development. In 2021, Missouri Congresswoman Cori Bush, who was once without a home, slept overnight on the steps of the U.S. Capitol, protesting the end uh, of a freeze on evictions. This was during COVID. Now, the Congresswoman, along with some of her colleagues, started the Congressional Caucus on Homelessness, this year to attempt to end homelessness in the United States. I had a chance to speak with one of those colleagues, the Congresswoman from Texas, Sylvia Garcia. Congresswoman Garcia, thank you for joining us here on the Hill on News Nation. Appreciate the time. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Um, the Congressional Caucus on Homelessness. It, it sounds fairly straightforward, but um, 
tell me about it. What are, what are, what are you and your colleagues uh, up to in the caucus? What are you trying to solve? Well, first of all, happy Thanksgiving to you and to all those who are watching. And, you know, our, our caucus for the homeless is really about that, is making sure that everyone has a home that has a meal that, that can be grateful and thankful for, for today. Uh, we focus on making sure that the food programs and the uh, other things that are designed uh, to help the homelessness population in, in all across the country are fully funded. Uh, that means working on the farm bill to make sure food banks get the dollars that they need, that schools get the money that they need to be able to help any homeless children that are in school. And it also means funding programs to make sure that people have housing. Housing is a huge challenge all across America. I know in Houston, we have a large homeless population, and the biggest, the biggest challenge they have is finding the right place to stay. And once they stay, we have to make sure that they've got the network and the resources, uh, wraparound services that they need so they can stay in their home. Because we find that sometimes it's something as challenging as paying a bill or making sure your electricity yeah. stays on it becomes an issue if they don't have the dollars. So it's about making sure that they have the resources to, to be able to survive on their own. And I hear, I hear you rattle off uh, there, talk about some of the, the different programs, but we've seen, you know, homelessness rise, Congresswoman, across the country, 582,000 people, for example, homeless uh, last year. Is this something that Congress can solve? Is this something that you're trying to, uh, you know, chip away at year by year? Well, we chip away at it year by year, but it's really, in my view, it's about us providing the federal funding for the programs that need to be implemented at the local level, because homelessness is across America, particularly all the major urban cities like Chicago, New York, my Houston. I know I've visited Skid Row in Los Angeles, you know, San Francisco, all the major cities are facing huge challenges in this topic, but we can't forget that it also happens in rural America. People are living in cars, not only in a city, but also in the country, and there's less programs and services there. So it's about making sure that the the cities and the nonprofits uh, that are local-based, that are better able and capable of providing these services have the funding. What about affordability, though, right? Because that, that clearly plays into some of this. Um, housing affordability essentially well, affordability for, is for, well you know I yeah, sit on. not only uh, uh, um, I, I sit on the housing and insurance subcommittee of financial services and it's just a shame that we've not even had one hearing on homelessness and uh, the need for affordable housing for public housing there seems to be a, 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 a you know let's look at let's look the other way kind of attitude on the part of so many mega Republicans. So I think for us, uh, it is a challenge, uh, particularly as we see in appropriations, the cuts that are being made uh, to public housing programs, to the farm bill and food programs, something as simple as making sure that kids get the food that they need uh, are being cut. So it's a challenge. We continue to work on it. And more importantly, we're not giving up. Just because you brought up, uh, you know, your, your colleagues on the other side, Republicans, when you see those numbers, you see those stats, how do you make the argument that Bidenomics is working? Well, it's, it's working because more people are working. 
and more people are getting getting the jobs that they need and better jobs. Uh, so I think it's working, and we keep trying to make sure that it that it works from the the middle up and down, and that we 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 handle all the situations, especially with working people, poor people, and homeless. So I think it's working. It's going to take some time, and as I said earlier, you know, we take it we take a little chip at it every day, and we're not going to give up. Congresswoman Garcia, I uh, have to leave it there. Thank you for the time. I appreciate it. Hope you come on back. Thank you. Bye-bye. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> you think this would be an issue that would be bipartisan, but I think you, you saw a little bit of a, of a tone there, of, or at least a turn, of there's clearly some bipartisan challenges here. I think it's the emblematic of what the uh, feeling is and what I, the environment on Capitol Hill right now. The temperature is really high, and it's seeping into these causes that you would think Republicans and Democrats, and I'm sure they do, want to work together on. But there is just this tone of divisiveness that we're seeing. It permeates everything. And this is an issue that's a humanitarian issue. And people on both sides of the aisle have great ideas. In fact, a lot of the the policies that they promote on the Democratic side are about housing first. And Republicans have talked about treatment first, where housing is coupled with the requirement to go into substance abuse training, you know, whatever, substance abuse treatment. And they're looking at the holistic person because the New York City has this gold standard program was housing first. And it turned out that over half of the people that were in the housing, because they didn't require treatment with it, ended up increasing their substance abuse instead of actually thriving as people. So we need to look at facts and depoliticize. That kind of rhetoric does absolutely nothing to help our country move forward or solve the problem. What, is there a solution here, or what's the way to, 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 to push this forward and to uh, substantially help? There are a couple of elements of this that I think are important to dissect. There, there is the question of affordability and the, the availability of housing for folks that can't afford it otherwise. That is the number one problem. That's the big lion's share of the problem with housing people on the streets. Then you have substance abuse, mental health issues that are, are also present, but it's those folks that lose out in the game of, of uh, musical chairs when there's not enough housing there in the first place. So I, I do think you start with affordability and more housing. The Biden administration is doing a lot of this. There's $10 billion for that. There's some, some uh, efforts to, to make commercial residential and create these opportunities. But you, I do agree, Denise, you need both. You need that affordability and then the wraparound treatments because there is an element that needs support even when they get the housing. Absolutely. I think you also have to zero in on what mayors are doing in their respective cities. So if we take here in Washington, D.C., Mayor Bowser has made homelessness a top priority in her this administration. And so when you look at but how it's gotten worse here in Washington, has it not? It has gotten worse here. But what she did, she first decided that she was going to focus on families, getting families off the street first and then focusing on men. But I think that approach, it, it, it goes back to creating housing, also coupling it with treatment, and attacking one sector of homelessness. Obviously, this is a nuanced issue. There are yeah. many challenges with it. But I think when you have folks that zero in and decide we're going to focus on families or women or men, then you begin to see the numbers decrease. All right. Well, two zero in for a second. Here in Washington, one man is tackling food insecurity, one free meal at a time. Steakhouse owner Mark Buecher started a nonprofit called Feed the Fridge. His organization places refrigerators in rec centers, schools, other locations as well throughout the Washington, D.C. area. Joining us now is the founder of Feed the Fridge, Mark Buecher. Mark, thanks for joining us. Happy Thanksgiving. You know, I, I heard about this and, and thought this was uh, absolutely incredible. So good on you, sir. Tell us about it. Hey, you know, 
Happy Thanksgiving to everybody, too, and to those at home enjoying a Thanksgiving meal. Remember, there are a lot of folks out there that the meal we're all having today is really hard to make for one person. Right? If you're elderly, mm-hmm. arthritic hands, or if you're food insecure, it takes a lot of ingredients and it's awfully expensive to make a meal for one to Thanksgiving. So our, our, our mission throughout the year is to provide a ready-to-eat meal to help combat or solve hunger. But on Thanksgiving, it's different. We actually deliver today, this week, We've delivered over 3,000 individual Thanksgiving meals to D.C. area elderly or homebound uh, food insecure families to make sure they have Thanksgiving today. And we've also this morning we cooked about a thousand turkeys for families that got the free donated turkeys, but didn't have the ability to cook them. So we're hoping a new solution to the hungers uh, here in D.C. What is do you do you find a common thread uh, maybe when you when you look at families who are who are food insecure and then who are able to. Uh, sort of uh, come off it is there a, what's the common thread in in being able to to help these these individuals and these families prosper forward you know it's an ugly underbury of bureaucracy um the reality is our snap program in this country needs to be fixed it needs to be brought to the current century we're in um what do you mean by today that? you know so for example when we had the baby formula shortage we filled our fridges with baby formula that we did not have a hard time finding it was ready to drink formula that could not be bought on SNAP benefits because it's ready to eat, classified as a ready to eat meal. Folks can't buy a grilled piece of chicken breast in a grocery store. They can't buy a sandwich. They have to buy right. family packs or mass packs of raw ingredients to cook, which leads to a pot and pan problem. If you're food insecure, hmm. you don't have pots and pans and you can't buy them on SNAP. You can't buy a can opener. So we're providing pots and pans and cans openers. Let's, let's wow. solve hunger. Let's not keep doing the same thing. And we also provide ready-to-eat meals. You don't need to create, have all these ingredients to figure out how to cook them. Just come get a meal and eat it. It's a different solution. But the, our common, yeah, no, the it's, common it's, problem it's, we hear is pots and pans. Wow. I, I mean, I never, I, you know, it's interesting to hear you say that. Uh, when you talk about food insecurity, you think about the food, right? The first uh, part of it. But you're saying it's, it's something uh, you know, related to it. Um, you're here in Washington. Are you going to expand at all? Do you have any, any plans? Or is it, we, is it, do you just focus on this one at a time? No, we, I mean, we started in Washington with, one, with actually one refrigerator, led to six refrigerators, and now we've got over 20. Um, wow. We're in London, England. London, England copied Feed the Fridge. We're, we want more people to copy it. Everything we've done is available to teach other people how we do this. This is a great non-political program. We actually yeah. buy our meals from local restaurants that support the local economy to put in these refrigerators. So we're spending money in local restaurants, and we're also <laughs> addressing those who need the meal. No politician, no politician can say no. What they have a problem with is appropriation. Have you, told, have you told Congress about this? Do they know about it? Like, i got to imagine so. Oh, sure. You're in Washington. Oh, sure. Congressmen, senators, governors, the president of the United States. What do they say? Talk, what do they say? Everybody. You spoke to pre- – which president did you speak to? Or The current president. What did he tell you? Uh, everyone loves the idea. No one hates the idea. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's course. great. It's, it, it takes – and, you know – right. It, FEMA, you know, we're not, we're not, look, I mean, there, there's a little dark secret in politics in this country. And the fact of the matter is, in their minds, we're doing just fine. No one's looking to cure or solve hunger. No one's looking to do any more or any less. What we're doing is just fine, which is the wrong way to look at things. Strongest military, strongest economy, give or take net lately, but we're good. Education's good. Colleges are good. Home, homelessness, we're working on it. Food insecurity, it's not getting worse. It's not getting better. It's been like this over the last 10 years. It goes up, it goes down, but it's like this. We're good. So for a politician, they're good. It's kind of like recycling. 
So it's really hard to be a change maker and convince people if you want to solve people from being hungry, you got to give them a meal they can eat that costs a little more than a rutabaga, but it solves the problem. And then everyone's like, "Where come to money? I got to get the money. Where am I going to get the money?" Right. Yeah. We're working. Wow. Uh, well, what you're doing is amazing, Mark. Uh, and come on back, please. Uh, I'm fascinated by this, and and let us know how how you and the group are doing. Uh, Mark Buker, happy happy Thanksgiving, and, and and keep on keep on at it. To you all as well. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Mark. Uh, that is fascinating, what we just heard from him there. No, and I love that. And what I especially love about it is that I think a lot of people, maybe some of our viewers, may look at D.C. and think this is a city where only politicians and media types live. But there really is, you know, are so many vibrant communities within D.C. And I think that's an example yeah. of someone in the community really giving back and helping, um, you know, some uh, the community as well. So that's very inspiring. And it's so inspiring to hear that people are copying. Yeah, right, what yeah, that was what really he's cool. doing there and making it all yeah. way all the way to the Oval Office, apparently. Um, <laughs> all right, well, on this Thanksgiving, we are, of course, uh, thinking of service members who are overseas. They, of course, need a holiday meal, too. We'll talk about all of the preparation, all the Thanksgiving meals that are shipped across the world. How do they go about doing this, right? Troops all over. So how do you get them these Thanksgiving meals? We'll speak to the person behind it, the other side of the break. All right, welcome back here to The Hill on News Nation. So as we give thanks today for our family, friends, everything else in our lives, we, of course, cannot forget about our men and women in uniform and men and women in uniform overseas as well. An estimated 120,000 active duty service members are currently stationed outside the U.S. And during the holidays, they still like to enjoy all the fixings, as you might imagine. Their holiday meals are prepared by the Defense Logistics Agency, which provides support and supplies to the U.S. military services. Now, they start placing holiday orders. Take a a guess when you think they do it. They do it in late spring. So everything can be prepared in time. Now, last year, they delivered some 41,000 pounds of roasted turkey. Same amount for beef. 24,000 pounds of ham, uh, 2,000 gallons of eggnog, and you can see some other items there to troops all across the globe. I think we're going to have about 62,000 pounds of turkey this year, um, and not about 7,000 cases this year. So, um, yeah, we have our troops throughout the world. This is just for the outside of the country troops that I'm looking at right now. And then inside, obviously, there's a whole whole other host of items. Uh, Lauren Austin there from the group who is uh, or the organization behind this. It is stunning to hear that in late spring. I mean, I guess that's stunning. I mean, to, that they start putting this together months in advance. Absolutely. I mean, I think people want to know what they're going <laughs> to for Thanksgiving. And yeah. so if they can get their orders in early, I think that's a great planning mechanism. I think they're expected to have more uh, this year than last year. That stuff looks incredible. I just like that, that <laughs> turkey and that, yes, that <laughs> Ready awesome for dinner. stuff. You know someone who's yeah. involved with this, right? Yeah, my cousin. I'm so proud of him. It's funny because he's spent so many holidays away from from just our family, but he is, I have to read it because I never get it right. He's a rear admiral who's in charge of the Naval Supply Systems Command, so he's the Navy's 50th Chief Supply Corps. I don't even know what that means. But anyway, thank you, Kenneth, for your service. Um, I love that you're doing, I mean, who you are is just so remarkable as a public servant and as somebody who serves in the military and puts everything on the line. We love you. 
I mean, 120,000. Yeah. He's serving. in charge of all of that, all the supply stuff just for the Navy, though. And 100, 120,000 serving overseas. Uh, absolutely. And it's something you don't think about really logistically. You know that there's yeah. so many people serving overseas. We just see that we see like behind the, the scenes. We see right. the images, right? Yeah. Of like yeah. troops eating all exactly. over. Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole team. Yeah, there's, there's a whole operation. Yeah. That gives me a headache. Oh, my gosh. About that. <laughs> the cleaning, yeah. even worse. All right, well, coming up, uh, what are you thankful for this Thanksgiving? Final thoughts? from the panel. Stay with us. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. As temperatures drop, FH Fur invites you to be part of something truly heartwarming. Our Fall into Comfort Toy Drive. Through December 15th, for only $29, the experts at FH Fur will perform a comprehensive heating system inspection, ensuring your home stays snug through the chilly months ahead. The best part? 100% of the proceeds will go to the United States Marine Corps Reserve's Toys for Tots. Schedule your heating inspection today with FH Fur. 877-GOFFER-FHFUR.COM Our Cox Mobile plans are like a band. The more people you add, the better it sounds. So, add more lines to save more. Pay as low as $30 per line when you add four or more gig unlimited lines. It's easy. I like the sound of that. Visit cox.com slash mobile. Four lines required for $30 per line price. Max of five lines. Prices exclude taxes, device activation, and other fees and charges, which are subject to change. Cox postpaid internet required. Other restrictions apply. It's an era of politics like we've never seen. A new kind of politics needs a new kind of program you can trust. Welcome to The Hill on News Nation. I'm Blake Berman. Introducing The Hill. Joined by a great panel today. Want to present two tales for you as we start off. BC's definitive source for nonpartisan political news. The Hill, weekdays at 5, 4 Central on News Nation, America's fastest growing cable news network. To find News Nation on your screen, go to joinnn.com. My name is Michael Houston, Navy veteran and VFW Post Service Officer. I'm encouraging all United States military veterans and active duty members to take advantage of the many benefits and privileges you've earned by serving our great country. Please reach out to a veteran service officer or your local VFW. You served your country. Now let your country serve you. For more information, call 800-827-1000 or visit Benefits.gov. Have you ever covered a carpet stain with a rug? Ignored a leaky faucet? Pretended your half-painted living room is supposed to look like that? Well, you're not alone. We've all got unfinished home projects, but there's an easier way. Thumbtack is the app that makes it easier to care for your home. Pull out your phone, and in just a few taps, search, chat, and book highly rated pros right in your neighborhood. Download Thumbtack and start caring for your home the easier way. This is Allie Bradley. Get my podcast, Bradley on the Border, at NewsNationNow.com or wherever you get your podcasts. How is your job to school? Let me tell you. 
I had to get my iced coffee first. I just can't seem to put it down. My favorite rapper just announced a tour. My phone was buzzing like crazy. I'm so excited. I had to text all my friends right then to talk about it. Then someone started calling me and... Let's try that again. I turned my phone off right away. I never drive distracted. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. The Mo is calling. For years, people around the world have been united by the power of the moustache. This Movember, unite to take on mental health, suicide, prostate and testicular cancers. Come together, grow together, raise funds, save lives. Change the face of men's health. Sign up at Movember.com. You can always come up with an excuse for not visiting longtermcare.gov. Oh, I forgot. Game night. After all, who wants to admit that one day they will be, you know, old? Hey, do you see any crow's feet on this face? I don't. But since 70% of older Americans need some kind of long-term care, why not do some free planning now so you can stay in charge? Visit longtermcare.gov and find your own path forward. Kids ask their parents a lot of questions. Why can't people fly? Gravity. Is the moon really made of cheese? Yep, cream cheese. When can I move into a big kid's car seat? Uh... For some questions, parents may not have the answer, but that's okay. They can't know everything, but knowing the right seat for their age and size will help protect them in a car crash. Find out more at nhtsa.gov slash the right seat. Where do babies come from? Good luck, Dad. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. I'm thankful for the opportunity to be a representative for uh, for the citizens in, in Kansas 4th District. And, and, you know, to be able to live in a country like America where we have the freedoms and the opportunities to do the things that we can do. There's a lot for me to be thankful for. I'll say this, though. I lost my mother in August, but I had her for, you know, she, she passed away at 90. So I'm very thankful that I had her as a mother. She was incredible, and I miss her greatly. Well, I'm thankful not only to be able to do this job and uh, live in a free country, but for my amazing family. Um, I'm a wife and a mother to two beautiful children and, um, and a fur baby, too. So I'm just thankful for my, my family supporting me so I can do this job. What are you thankful for, Congressman? Going home. Love it. And you have a beautiful home, Northern California, right? Yep. See ya. <laughs> Gotta love the honesty there, right? Uh, all right, so you just heard from lawmakers there about what they are thankful for before we say goodbye. Uh, around the table. Sure, yeah. I'm thankful for family and health. I've had a sick family member this year, mm-hmm. and she is actively recovering, mm-hmm. so I'm very thankful for that. Yeah. This year, uh, we got something great done in Alaska, uh, and talk about food insecurity. Half of the world's sockeye salmon come from Bristol Bay, and this tiny tribe, uh, indigenous-led coalition, got this place protected after 20 Years of a battle. Now, this Thanksgiving, we're going to have some Alaska salmon, I think. Our, <laughs> just our about, a, not every time, but you often bring up Alaska. I do love Alaska. I love you Alaska. Love, you love Alaska and, and things that go on there. I've learned that about there you. There is so much cool stuff happening in politics, conservation, energy. It's a great place yeah. to work. Uh, Denise? Um, like Representative Ivy, I lost my father earlier this year, and I was so grateful to just have had time, focused time to just love on him and just to support him and, and as he walked towards the end of his life. So I'm just grateful for who he was in my life. Very cool. 
grateful for my parents as well. Um, very excited to spend the holiday season with them um, and grateful for my extended family as well. We've had a lot of milestones this year. Hmm. Uh, it takes a lot to put on this show. Uh, you just see me in front of the camera a lot of days and the panel in front of the cameras and reporters out there, etc. We just started this show uh, earlier this year, really a handful of months ago. Uh, so just wanted to say, obviously, my, my family, of course, uh, in, immense thanks. But to the team here uh, at the Hill and at News Nation, there's about a dozen of folks behind the scenes who work throughout the day to put this together. And so I personally... I'm thankful to them. I'm sure I'll get off the camera and they'll like rib me and make fun of me for saying this, but whatever, I don't care. Uh, so, so thankful to the team. Black Friday. Uh, what do you, hey, anything that you guys want to buy coming up? How about a $975,000 cash? <laughs> there you go. Is it on sale? I thought you were going to say plane <laughs> tickets to Alaska or something like that. <laughs> anyway, anyone got anything at the top of the list? Sephora is having a sale, absolutely. Oh, I'll go over that. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna get stock up on. I want to get the Dyson hair dryer. Speaking yeah. of like our hair and makeup team raves about it. There you go. And so I got to get it on sale because it's like 600 bucks or something. All right, all right. Well, we got to leave it there. Uh, hope you have a fantastic.